Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Dallas Greenaway continued our series, Choose Your Own Adventure, where we will be talking about four spiritual disciplines of living the Christian life. Dallas talked about relationships with others this week and how relationships are a choice, not an accident. We looked at Mark 2, verses 13 through 17, and how Jesus came to call the sinners, so also is hanging out with sinners often. Dallas challenged us to look at who we surround ourselves with. We also looked at Romans 12, 2, and the balance of our relationships with people who know Jesus and people who don't. We hope you enjoy this message. All right. Good morning, everybody. So we are indeed, that's why there's that fun music right there, right? We are indeed in week two of our series, Choose Your Own Adventure, right? And remember, uh, last week, if you were here, or maybe this is your first time, this will be like a refresh or, or a, uh, like, now you know. But it's called Choose Your Own Adventure, which that phrase, uh, maybe you've read a book in the past or you've seen a show on Netflix recently where you get to kind of choose your, your own adventure. You get to choose the next page or chapter that you turn to in the book, or you get to choose the next scene or episode of the show, right? And you kind of, you get to choose like which direction you take, which um, in some cases, which ending you end up at, right? And this idea of choose your own adventure, how does that apply to our lives? How does that apply to our faith and spiritual matters? Uh, the reality is that every single day we have a choice to follow the way of Jesus or to not, to do our own thing, try to make our own path, our own way. And so it's, it's that idea that, yeah, we, we do have some, some choice in there, right, in our daily life. So for the next couple weeks, including today, we are talking about uh, some of those things in our life that have to do with living and following in the way of Jesus. And hey, if you were to choose to follow him, what does that look like? Like, and I don't just mean to like be saved and have Jesus as your redeemer, but if you were actually going to live life like like Jesus did. And so last week we started things out and we put this quote up on the screen as we talked about life with God and maybe even starting to have a new rhythm for our life. And here's the quote. I wanted to remind you of it and remind you that all people named Dallas, man, I wish I knew somebody with that name, is just really smart, right? Like smarter than the average bear maybe. Uh, so this guy, Dallas Willard, he's way smarter than me, okay? And, but he's also uh, no longer here. He's with the Lord. But he said before he died, he said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, right? So when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to the spiritual life, those are just kind of, you know, interchangeable things. Uh, When it comes to those things, that the greatest obstacle that you and I are going to face is the never-ending, like, non-stopness of our society, of our culture, of our, our lives, like we always feel a need to be doing something. We always have a, a, a need that we have to like have TV on or, or computer on or you know, a phone in our face or something in our ears, right? And we never or, or very rarely take time to slow down and do some of the things that we talked about last week, which we kind of boiled it down to silence, solitude, and stillness, right? Words that most of you have probably never used in your life except to tell your little sibling, silence, Right? Like, I'm, I'm doing something, I'm working on something, but you, you, probably, you probably don't actually say silence, okay, maybe, but uh, if not, you should, because that would kind of be epic, right? That's like older English, and you could sound really authoritarian or authoritative. Uh, anyway, so hopefully last week, maybe you actually started to practice that, of like, okay, if hurry is the great enemy, then maybe I need to start practicing the opposite of hurry, which is slowing down, silence, solitude, stillness. 
And maybe, maybe you haven't done this yet, and you, there's still time, right? You're still here. Uh, but, but what if you just took five minutes every day, and you intentionally put away distractions, you closed the door and were just by yourself, and, and you just were still before God, and, and just see what happens. Like, try to push everything else out of your mind and just let God speak to you. I think that your, your life would start to to change. I don't want to like promise anything, right? But I think that if you start to practice these new rhythms, things will be different. In fact, as I was thinking about all, all the stuff that we're learning about in this series, uh, I found this quote that's, that's helpful for me. It's a quote from a guy named John Ortberg, who he like really loved a lot of what Dallas Willard had to say. And when it comes to like spiritual disciplines, things like silence, solitude, stillness, reading scripture, prayer, uh, a lot of times we call these things spiritual disciplines, right? And that word discipline sounds like such a negative, like wrong thing. I don't want to be disciplined, right? Like, or or on, on the flip side, like, well, discipline means like it's something that like I have to do. And that's not really the point of these these things. I think John Ortberg helps us understand why is it important to to live into the things and to walk in the way that, that God's called us to. Here's what he says about these practices. He says, practices such as reading scripture and praying are important. And you can add in anything else that we've mentioned this morning, right? All these things are important, not because they prove how spiritual we are. And maybe you could also say like, and not because like, you just have to do these. If you don't do these, something's going to go wrong. But here's why they're important. They're important because God can use them to lead us into life. So all the things that we're talking about here on a Sunday morning, uh, and specifically during the, these four weeks of this Choose Your Own Adventure series, here, here's the deal. We're not, we're not talking about these things. You're not discussing them in small group because they're like, you have to do these or else you're going to die or go crazy, right? And it's also not like, hey, somebody's just trying to control your life. But here's, or, or any other negative thing, here's the reason we're talking about these things is because we truly believe as, as Christians that this the life that Jesus has, has called us into is true life, is the best life, is the fullest. The way the scripture talks about it is it's the abundant life, right? And uh, there's, it's kind of cool because more and more studies, even thinking about silence, solitude, and stillness, are coming out and saying, yeah, actually, those things, like taking a step back from the nonstop pace of life, like, that's right, that's good. We actually need more of that in our culture. Like, all the things that God talks about if you actually were to step into them, and I was to step into them, we would see that they were true, that they were real, that really what, like what God says is, is actually reality. And so it's, it's a journey, though, right? And, and ultimately, here's kind of the, this big question that I think I'm starting to ask more and more um, about, about our lives and about this journey and just trying to figure out, like, how does this, how does this all apply to my life? Like, what does this look like, right? And it's, it's this simple question. Um, that is, how does your life, how does my life look different because of Jesus? Last week, we talked about it a little bit, how, hey, silence, solitude, stillness, that's so weird, that's so different from our culture, and yet, I think that's exactly how God has called us to live, different. We're not called to, to have our life just look like the lives of everyone else, whether they believe in him or not. We're, we're called to have our lives look different and have our lives look more like Jesus. So how does my life look different? How does your life look different? I think that it would look different if we actually started to apply the things that we read in scripture. So what, what's the answer? This is actually a question that came up. Uh, how many of you guys go to Southside Christian? Anybody? Quite a few of you. Wow. 
I'm always surprised with stuff. So many Southsiders. Uh, you may not know this, but anytime you guys have small groups during chapel, uh, I'm there and I'm leading a seventh and eighth grade small group. And this wasn't the intent of our small group time this past Thursday, but the question came out of the things that we were talking about. Like, and, and one of the guys asked, you know, okay, I hear that we're like, I guess we're supposed to live like Jesus and we're supposed to, our lives are supposed to look different. He basically asked this question, but what does that mean? Like, how is that even, how is that possible? And I think this is such a big question. You could spend your whole small group time talking about this question and, uh, and all the small group times hereafter. But this is such an important question to nail down because I think this is, this is a question that we're searching for the answer to in some way, shape, or form for our entire lives. So at, at its basic form, here's what I think the answer is. The answer, how, how does our life look different? Our life looks, looks different when we actually live like Jesus. And you're like, well, duh, right? But so then my follow-up to that would be, so how many of us are actually living like Jesus? Like if we know it, if it's so simple, if it's so duh, right, then how come so many of us are, are, are not quite there yet? And that's where I think the journey begins, is that when it comes to living life like Jesus, now the journey for you and me is that in all of life, we ask that question. What is, what, what, how would Jesus be a student? Not like what kind of grades he would make, right? I'm not talking about the end result of Jesus' life or the end result of Jesus as a student, right? None of us, hopefully, well, I mean, maybe somebody in here, maybe, maybe that's a super God-glorifying thing. I should get more excited about it. But I don't think any of us in here are, are going to end up dying the same way that Jesus did. Again, maybe. I'm not talking about end results here, but I'm talking about how would Jesus be a student? How would Jesus, if he was on your sports team, what kind of teammate would he be? What kind of neighbor would he be? Today, we're talking about this. What kind of friend would Jesus be? See, it's a big question. How does our life look different because of Jesus? Well, the answer is kind of simple, yet super complex. Well, my life would look different if I actually was following Jesus, right? If I was living like Jesus, and then the journey, the the battle, the adventure, if you will, is to figure out what that looks like in all of life. So this morning, we're going to talk just for a few minutes about uh, friendship and community and the types of friends that we're called to uh, to be with and the types of friends that we are called to be, right? And so turn with me in Proverbs chapter 12. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. Um, and Proverbs is like just a book of a whole bunch of uh, wise sayings, right? Most of Proverbs, uh, or most of the Bible, excuse me, uh, you will read through it and you'll be able to kind of track with the story and you'll see like it's, it's more narrative, right? Not so much with Proverbs. Proverbs, in the same chapter, you might see stuff about money and stuff about how to deal with, you know, your sheep. And then maybe you'll find a little bit of what we're talking about today. Excuse me, that coffee is making me gassy. Um, out my mouth, okay? Not, not the other thing. But, but then you might also find something that we're talking about this morning, which is, hey, what does it look like in our relationships to live like God has called us to, right? So... These are maybe verses that you're familiar with, but hopefully we'll think a little bit deeper about them this morning. So, <coughs> Proverbs 26, or Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. Who, uh, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. All right, short and sweet. There's two groups of people that 
are being talked about in this verse. Who are the two groups of people? First one is the righteous. Good, you guys are on it. Who's the second? The wicked. Nice. Two very uh, polar opposite extremes, right? And yet, I think you may find yourself in one camp or the other, or at least spending time with a group who looks more like one camp than the other. So, the righteous here, right? The righteous in these verses that is being talked about, this is somebody who, in most cases, was morally right. Like, they made a, a good decision morally, they were fair, they were just, And most of the time when the Bible talks about the righteous person or righteousness, it's talking about being right with God, right? So this is somebody who's following God, who's going in the right direction versus the wicked person who is essentially the opposite, right? They are maybe not so morally good. They are less concerned with God and far more concerned about just making sure that they get what they want at all times, no matter who they have to run over in the process, right? So you've got the, the righteous person and the wicked person. And here's basically what it's saying in, in this verse. It's pretty simple. But hey, the people that you hang out with, they shape who you become. So if you hang out, I mean, you're, you've probably heard your parents say something along those lines, right? Or maybe you've thought it or a friend has told it to you. But if you spend time with the righteous person, they are going to lead you down the path of righteousness. And if you spend time with the wicked person, they're going to lead you the other way, Right? So let me, like, that's pretty basic. So let me ask you this and maybe bring it down to home a little bit, right? Which group, and I know these are, like, polar opposite, right? Like, righteous, wicked, and maybe these are are even words that we wouldn't really use today, necessarily. But if you were to describe your friend group, like, your closest friends, right? Would you, like, like, would you describe them as righteous? Or maybe some of the things that go in, in line with righteousness and like, are they people who are pursuing after God and, and things above? Or would you describe, you might not use this word, right? It sounds so bad to call somebody wicked, and yet the Bible does this a lot, right? Would you describe them as people who maybe are, are not, like, leading you towards God? In fact, they're leading you towards, you know, making poor decisions or maybe, maybe doing some things you know are, are just the opposite of God. Righteous and wicked. And then, on, like, you can kind of turn, turn that upside down, though, right? And not just think about your friends, but think about you and me think about me. Are, are you someone who would be considered righteous? Like, you're somebody who's leading people in the right direction towards the things of God. Or, or do you find yourself being in the camp of, like, yeah, but these things look really fun, and, and I need people to go have fun with me, right? Like, and so you, you take people in the opposite direction. Would you be more considered wicked? It, it's very true that who you spend time with is, is who you become, right? You, you guys know this because uh, either you've experienced it yourself where at one point you were hanging out with one group of friends and, like, things were going well, but then maybe you moved or maybe you just found a new friend at school and you kind of got in tighter with their group and and their group kind of started to pull you down a path that you never thought you'd go. Maybe you were starting to say things or think things that you never thought would even cross your mind. And slowly but surely, like, you started to become more like this new group and less like the, the old group, right? Or, or you've had it happen to you where, where a friend kind of left your group of friends and you're like, hey, like, where's, 
where's Jason, right? Like, where's he been? Or, or where's, uh, where's his sister Jill, right? Like, where, where have they been? And they've started hanging out with a new group of people. And you're like, man, I don't, like, they've just changed. Like, now when I get around them, they're not even the same person. Like, in fact, I don't really care to be around them anymore, right? Because maybe they've, they've just chosen to join in with the things of the new group, and that's not such a, such a great thing. Here it's broken down as righteous and wicked. If you turn just one chapter over to verse 13, or chapter 13, uh, to verse 20, here's what, what uh, Proverbs says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This isn't just about like righteous and wicked, right? And like either you're, you're good or you're bad, but there's also uh, two groups of people in this verse, and it's wise and foolish, right? And wisdom has to do with like gaining understanding, actually applying knowledge, like, and and wisdom, remember, multiple times in scripture, it talks about how wisdom comes from God, right? So the wise person, again, is somebody who's following after the things of God. They've got good discernment, and as you start to spend time with the wise person, you know, probably some of their wisdom is going to rub off on you, and then you yourself become Wise. And on the flip side, the, the foolish person, right? They're the person who, again, isn't so concerned with the things of God or with what God has to say about this situation. But maybe they're more driven by their emotions and just how they feel in the moment. And like, dude, whatever seems right, whatever seems fun, whatever seems like exciting, that's what I'm going to do. And oftentimes that, that includes them bringing other people into that. And a lot of times the consequences are not great in the end, right? But if you spend time with someone who's foolish, you, just as if you spend time with someone who's wise, they can rub off some of that wisdom. I think the foolishness can rub off on us as well. So let me ask again. We asked about the righteous and the wicked. How would you describe your friends? I'm talking about the closest people that you spend the most time with when it comes to your friendships, right? Would you describe them as people who are like wise and they're, they're like pointing you to the things of God? They're reminding you of who he is and who you are in him and you know, they're, they're making wise decisions, or would you describe that group of friends as like maybe a little more foolish and destructive, and, and you've, you've seen it, like you've joined in with them, and like it was kind of fun, the things you were doing maybe in the moment, but then in, in the end, not so much, right? Again, you can flip that on its head. Are you more wise or foolish? Like you, you could go on and on a, a, about this all day, right? But it, it comes back to that idea that who you spend time with is who shapes you. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus in just a second, but I think that, that God, God has called us to develop relationships and to become people who are wise and who are, who are righteous, who are, who are pointing us to the things of God and taking us down a path that looks more and more like him. You know, we're, ta- we're talking about, hey, this, again, this big idea or this big question, what, how does our life look different? And specifically today, how does our life look different because of Jesus when it comes to our friendships, our relationships? I think one of the first ways that it looks different is for us to actually consider the people that we're around and the type of person that we are and the effect that that has on our life. Most of us would, would say, like, oh, yeah, I know the, the, the people that I hang out with, that's who I'm going to become. But not many of us have then taken that and said, okay, so are there people that I need to spend more time with? 
and maybe on the not so happy side, or there's some people that I need to spend a lot less time with. But I think that this is part of what God's called us to do. Again, we'll see in a second the life of Jesus that, that he actually models this for us, right? Um, both with spending time with people who don't know him and aren't following him, but also spending time with people who are going in the same direction. And we'll see a little bit of what that means for, for our life. But right before we do that, I want to give you maybe some more practical things. You're hearing like wisdom and righteousness and like those aren't words that maybe you use on a regular basis. So let's kind of put these into a little more practical. And, and I'll give you three things uh, that make a, make a true friend um, or, or group of friends, right? So a true friend is someone who loves you and loves you well, right? Pretty simple. But this is somebody who, like, you know that when you bring things to, they're going to not, like, just throw up on you their advice, right? But they're going to let you tell, tell them about, like, the situation you're in. And they're actually going to listen and, and actually be there for you. This is, this is a friend who loves you as best they can unconditionally. And that kind of love comes from God, right? So this is somebody who's not just going to give up on you when things get tough or, or when something really petty or small happens, right? A true friend is going to love you uh, through, through it all, right? Uh, second thing is that this is a friend who points you to God, right? So we talked about how wisdom comes from God, that righteousness, we're only made right with God, through God. Uh, and, and so this is a person who is going to, no matter what situation you're going through in life, they're going to be there to remind you about who God is. And Maybe just like a really simple way to ask, like, hey, are your friendships there yet? Or are you with people who are, who are doing this with you? Is, you know, like when's the last time that you guys actually had a conversation about spiritual things? You and your closest group of friends. Like when's, when's the last time that, that you guys talked about God at all or your, or your faith? And, you know, it's kind of hard to talk about those things with somebody if they're like your closest friend, to talk with somebody about Jesus and and what you guys are going after when it comes to living life for Christ, if they don't know him, which is difficult, right? So a, a true friend, I think the, friend, the types of friendships that Jesus wants us to have or God wants us to have in our closest circle are those who are going after these same things, and they are pointing us after those things as well. And then the last one is that they tell you hard truths. A true friend is not somebody who's just rainbows and unicorns with all the time, Right? A true friend is not somebody who like, yeah, I know that I can go over there and we just have fun and we just don't, like we don't have a care in the world. We don't even talk about anything important, right? Like that's not, that's not really true friendship. And yet I know that many of you, that's what your friends are at this point. But maybe this will be like a push to, to dig a little deeper. But a true friend is somebody who will tell you when you've offended them or when you've offended somebody else. A true friend is somebody who reminds you of God's truth, even when it's like the last thing that you want to hear. A true friend is somebody who like knows just how to poke you, right, to bring out your, your best self, hopefully, but poke you in a way that maybe you guys have to talk or maybe even argue or just like wrestle through the hard stuff that's going on in life, right? Actually, for this last one, um, Tim Keller has a great quote about friends who tell you the hard truth. It says, like a surgeon, friends cut you in order to heal you. And I think you can actually apply that to God as well. But not like actually cut you. Okay, stop taking your fingernail and cutting your friend. But, uh, but your friend knows how, like, hey, when, when there is something that they need to press in on, they press in on it, even if it's tough, 
because they know on the other side it'll make you better, much like a surgeon cuts and does all the surgical things that make me get queasy just thinking about, right? But a surgeon does that so that in the end, something can be healed, and God uses friends like that as well. So maybe you're sitting there and you're like, okay, like I hear all that stuff, like I I would say yes to all that stuff, but what about my friends and even my close friends who maybe they don't know God, they're not Christians, What do I do with that? I think that Jesus gives us uh, a good example or a good model for what that looks like. And uh, today we're just going to look again real quick and then we'll wrap up at at Mark chapter 2 verses 13 through 17, right? And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. It says, He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them, right? So just doing... Jesus-like things. And he, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of, of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Just kind of a side note, but Levi is the same person as Matthew. Okay, they just use different names here. So this was Matthew, the guy who wrote the gospel of Matthew, right? And so he calls, Jesus calls him to follow him. Matthew was a, or Levi was a tax collector, right? So a person who was considered a sinner, and yet Jesus brings him into his closest group of friends. It's kind of interesting. Let's keep reading. And as he reclined at, at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was, cater, uh, that he was eating with sinners, And tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And here he's he's not talking about righteous in the sense of truly righteous people. He's talking about people who think that they're righteous, right? And so here's what Jesus, Jesus is spending time, and we see this over and over and over again. He's spending time with sinners, with outcasts, with people who do not know him. To the point that Jesus is actually called friend of sinners, right? So Jesus didn't just choose to only hang out with and only ever spend time with and only ever talk to and only ever, you know, go out with or go to the home of just his people, Right? just his closest guys or girls, like just people who were following him, just people who were pursuing the same thing that he was, Jesus also spent plenty of time with people who were like doing the exact opposite of what he was, right? Never participating in it, but spending time with people who participated in those things. See, I think that Jesus, what he's modeling here is that the people that he spent the most time with, the people that he was the closest to, were those who were in some way, shape, or form going after the same things that he was. And even though at that time they didn't understand everything, I mean, they could never possibly understand everything that Jesus does, right, or they would be Jesus, but, but they, he, the cl- people that he spent the most time with were his like, close group of guys that were going on this journey with him. And then he spent plenty of time as well with, with other people, with, with sinners, with, with outcasts, with people who weren't necessarily following. So in no way, shape, or form are we saying, hey, now you need to drop all your friendships with people who are not Christians. But here's what I think we can learn from Jesus' model is that our closest friends probably need to be going after the same things that we are. 
Again, like it's hard. And that, again, that doesn't mean do not have any good friends who don't believe what you believe. I think you can have really good friends who don't believe what you believe. And you guys can have really good discussion and, and, and have adventures together and do a lot of things together. But I think your, your closest people, like when it's all falling apart or, or when like you just need somebody there with you, like that brotherhood or that sisterhood, it's got to be people who are going after the same things as you. So have you considered any of this? Like, have you actually taken time to think about your friendships or to talk with your friends about like, hey, I I think like we have a lot of fun together. We enjoy things together, but maybe it's time for us to get a little deeper with our friendship. Like, I want you to know that I'm here for you and and I want to know that you're here for me. And more than that, like, I want to be somebody that, that in our relationship, like we can talk about the things of God. We can go after this together. We can discover what life with him looks like more and more as a, a friendship. Start out asking that huge question, how does our life look different? And I, w- I want to leave you again with the question, how does our life look different because of Jesus when it comes to our friendships? How do our friendships look different? That's something. I mean, that, that's just part of this life that it's going to take a long time for us to, to figure out and, and nail down, and we may never get there, but I think that, that God's inviting us at least to start taking baby steps with him towards friendships that look more like what we read about in the scripture. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the life of Jesus and the way that he modeled um, friendship and community and the way that he modeled interacting with other people who were maybe outside of that immediate circle. And God, we thank you for the Proverbs, for these wise sayings that we can learn from even today, thousands of years after they were, were first written. Father, I just pray that in our small groups we can have good conversation around these things and what it looks like to really start to live life like you've invited us to live it. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.